Look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 to 8. I'm just going to read back over what we've been talking about. We're talking about being the church, salt and light, and our theme for this um, series is be. Be. What does God want us to be? It says you're blessed when you're, this is verse 3, uh, chapter 5 of Matthew. <coughs> you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God, his food and drink in the best meal you'll ever eat. You're blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, you find yourselves cared for. And they're the ones that we've been looking at over these last few weeks. And we can see how I'm sure a lot of us have been at the end of our rope. And we feel that, you know, when we've really come to connect with God or where we've, we've been cared for or God has really um, helped us to care for others. We've, when we've been that hungry for God that he satisfied our deep desire for him. This last one today that we're looking at, or the one we're looking at today, says you're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and heart put right. Then you can see God in your outside world. In the New Living Translation, it says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Purity of heart. A lot of people think, look, you know, that's probably not me. I don't think I have a very pure heart and I don't know that I could ever get one. Because we think about purity as being perfection. Um, purity is being without sin. Yet Michael spoke to us before, none of us are without sin. So then how, if none of us are without sin, how can we have a pure heart? Well, what it means is that purity of heart is not a heart that never sins. It's not a perfect heart. What is it then if it's not that? I believe that purity of heart is an undivided heart. One that loves God, that that loves God first and wants God more than anything else. That there's no competition in their life for God. God is number one. He takes first place. There's no competition. That's what an undivided heart is. God is first. The psalmist put it this way, the one thing, the one thing, God has to be the one thing in our life that is most important. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord and meditating in his temple. Is that our heart's desire? Because that's the, that's the desire of an undivided heart. Wanting God as our one thing more than anything else, more than anyone else. God is first. The other thing that I think that a, a pure heart is, is a clean heart. This sixth, sixth beatitude um, is about cleansing. It's about God taking the baggage in our life you know, the effects in our life of the things that we've seen and done and thought and loved, 
the impact they've had on us, and then cleansing us, washing it all away. That's why it says you're blessed when you get your inside world, your heart and mind put right. See, a pure heart is not about your outward behavior. Only, not only about your outward behavior. But it's God dealing with our twisted patterns of thinking, our misdirected patterns of loving, and our compulsive patterns of behaving. And so when God is talking here in this, uh, Jesus is talking here about blessed are the pure in heart. He's saying, you're blessed because your sins have been forgiven. Your heart has been made new. And this purity you have doesn't come for yourself. It's not what you do. It's what God does in you. Now, when I think about purity, for some reason, I think about milk, probably because it's white. And when you see it pouring out, it just looks so beautiful. And, you know, you've got this beautiful, pure substance. And so, you know, you you get a beautiful glass of milk and it's white and pure and it's lovely and you think it's great to drink. Now, if um, I, say, had sent someone outside and said, I'm going to give them a glass of milk and they saw me pour this in, then I sent them out, they'd think, great. But then, you know, what if I uh, got a cockroach and I put the cockroach in the milk? Sorry, Andrew, you won't be able to use that later. And uh, now, suddenly... Suddenly the milk is not as pure, is it? We all know because there's the cockroach in there. I wonder where it is. It's gone to the bottom. But, you know, if I take the cockroach out, and I probably need a tissue from down there now, Meg, and we no longer have the cockroach in there. No, I need it for my fingers (laughs) so I can swipe the iPad still. (laughs) Thank you. If we take the cockroach out, actually now... The milk still looks pure, doesn't it? You know, if I brought the person back in and said, now drink this, they wouldn't know any difference because it still looks pure. But we know, we know there's been some contamination in there, don't we? Looks pure, but it actually has been contaminated. And I think this is what Jesus wants us to understand about a pure heart. You see, he's talked about this to the Pharisees. And I think it's the same for us today. You see, so often we think purity is just about our outward behavior, how it looks, looks pure, looks good. But it's not just about that. It's not about looking right. So outwardly, everything appears pure, but inwardly, our hearts have been contaminated by sin that no one else can see, our thoughts, our actions that no one has seen. And while we can give the external appearance of purity, in our heart there is sin that remains uncleansed, that contaminates our lives. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23, verses 20 to 78, 28, sorry, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, 
but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. You see, external outward behavior may lead people to think that you, have, that you are pure, but that won't cut it with God who sees the heart. God says there has to be an inside work of the heart and mind. The things that stain our lives, and we're going to talk about this next week when we're thinking about stained. The things that stain our hearts, they need to be washed away and only, only the blood of Jesus can do that. That's why he said you're blessed when you get your inside world, your heart and your mind put right. Now I was thinking about this and I was thinking, Who in the Bible could I just refer to to reflect on this? And immediately the first person that came to mind was Daniel in the Old Testament. And you know, in these eight verses from Daniel chapter 1, we see that Daniel was committed, committed to maintaining himself as pure, as he lived in a culture that was godless. And I thought, let's look at Daniel and see what we can learn from him about how this example was laid down two and a half millennia ago, but it still applies to us today. And it will help us to see how we can have a pure heart. First of all, I think there's four things, if you're taking notes. These are the first four things that Daniel did. One, to have a pure heart requires a deliberate decision. A deliberate decision. Verse 8, Daniel determined that he would not defile himself. He made a decision about it. And you know, he made the decision before he went into the situation. And that's what's important. You see, when we're in the midst of the situation, sometimes it's hard to make the right decision. But if we make the decision before we go in and we say, I'm not going to do that. I've made a decision. I am not going to do that. And Daniel decided that he was not going to defile himself. And before he went into the courts, he made that decision. So when he was faced with the, with the temptation, with the problem, with the challenge, he stayed pure. So that's the first thing we need to do. Make the decision in advance. And that will help you to have a pure heart. Secondly, Daniel had to rely on God alone. Now he was going into a place that was godless. And you know, the problem is that so often we try to do it. We try to be pure. But let me tell you, if you try to be pure by yourself, you're going to fail. Not because I think that you're, you know, not great at trying, but because we are weak and we are human and we just don't have the capacity to stay pure. So we need someone. We need to rely on God He is almighty. He has all wisdom. He has all strength. And in him, he will help us to stay pure. And so Daniel did that. And in fact, God went ahead of him. So Daniel made this commitment. He thought, I have to trust God. I've got to abstain from this Babylonian food. And, you know, for him to take a pass on that really meant that he just could have been beheaded immediately. He could have been killed for not being willing to do what the um, emperor of this incredible empire had said. But look what God did in verse 9. Now God, not Daniel, 
but God had given the chief official great respect for Daniel. Daniel made his decision and he acted on it with the help of God and then God turned that man's uh, mind and heart to respect Daniel. God granted Daniel favour and compassion from the chief official because Daniel moved in complete reliance on the authority of the living God. In Proverbs, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding because that's going to just bring us down. But God, depending on God, trusting in him, relying on what he says, he's going to make the way for you. So to have a pure heart, we're going to have to rely totally on God. Thirdly, we're going to have, have to have a heart that is compassionate for the lost. Now, it's interesting because Daniel is placed before this man called Ashpenaz. And Ashpenaz was the leader of the court officials. And he was, going, he was saying to Ashpenaz, look, I, I, I don't want to eat this food. Now, he didn't say it in a way that was rude or that was disrespectful of him. But look at what Ashpenaz replied, verse 10. I am afraid of my lord, the king, who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. Now, Daniel could have said, well, that's your problem. But instead, he was gentle and compassionate with him. And in verses 12 to 13, he said, Please, please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water. And at the end of 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. Do you see his tone? It was, he, he cared for this man. He didn't want to see him in trouble, and he, but he wanted to make sure that he didn't compromise. So he had compassion in that circumstance. And we need to, when we're dealing with people in the world, we need to make sure that we don't start judging them or or. or The way that we act towards them is if we disrespect them or we're rude to them. That's not what God wants us to do. He wants us to love these people and to respect them and to deal with them in a way that will honour them. And so that's really important. To have a pure heart means that we don't become superior and thinking that we are better than everybody else because we're not. We're just people who God has rescued and lives in us and empowers us to live every day because of who he is, not because of who we are. And so therefore, when we deal with people, we need to deal in love. We're called to confront sin for sure. We can't just let it go. But when we encounter it, but you know, that starts with our own lives first. first. And then the love of Christ in us will allow us to work with people in a way that will actually draw them to him. That's what will happen. If we're treating people and and dealing with people in the right way, then it will draw people towards him. And the fourth point is that having a pure heart, and this is leading on from what I just said, will ultimately win respect for the Lord. And I'm sure that you've experienced, but look at what Daniel said, verse 15. At the end of 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, 
The attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for the others. So Daniel's commitment was resolute but respectful. It was not marked by compromise, but by compassion. He cared about Ashpenaz. He didn't want him to see him in trouble. And because of that, those Babylonian officials absolutely respected Daniel and his friends. And you know, if we want to draw people to Christ, people don't want to hear us being critical and judgmental. They want to hear us being loving and respectful and that's what's going to point them to Christ because that's what he's like. Look at, think of the, the lady who had been caught in adultery. Absolutely, by the law, she should have been killed. But Jesus says, he didn't have a go at the Pharisees, he didn't have a go at the lady. He said, if you're without sin, you cast the first stone. See, he had such a way of connecting with people, of not putting them down, but of lifting them up so that there was hope within them. There was a way forward because that's what he provides for us. That's who he is. And if we're going to have a pure heart, we need to be the same. And you know, if Daniel and his friends could pull it off, so could we, so can we, because we have the power of the living God available to us today, just as they did then. So as we move on in the story of Daniel, what was the result of Daniel and his friends having a pure heart? Firstly, it says that God blessed Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego with superior understanding, with insight. Verse 17, God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. He gave them mastery in the things that they needed. Now, you know, I believe this applies to our workplaces. I believe that when we trust God and love God and have a pure heart, that he actually gives us wisdom and insight and understanding that we won't have without him. When we allow God to be in control of our hearts and and be Lord of our hearts and have, you know, live there and we listen to what he says, we respond to what he says, it's going to impact our everyday wisdom. And so if we need wisdom in our circumstance, and I've heard people share this, I've heard people say, you know, I've sought God and God gave me unusual wisdom about my work. I've stood in front of classrooms and thought, what do I say now? And God has just, I've just said to God, God, give me something you know, the right thing to say here. And immediately he's given me the right thing to say that's turned young people's hearts to understand. Not just him, but even the things that he's teaching. And so this is what God did. God gave Daniel and his friends unusual, superior understanding. And as they committed themselves to God, this had an impact on this godless nation where they were living. I guess it's like what we hear when we say living in the world, but not of the world. That's what being salt and light is, isn't it? Living in the world, but not of the world, and letting God give you the wisdom that you need. Secondly, not only did he give them superior understanding, he blessed Daniel with supernatural ability. Verse 17b says, And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. 
And so this gave him incredible influence. And in the end, King Nebuchadnezzar, who was one of the most evil kings, actually turned his heart to God. Now, you know, had Daniel and his friends compromised and come to blend in with the culture of Babylon, I'm sure that they would have been able to work well within the Babylonian Empire. They would have been effective. But we probably would have never heard of them. I doubt today that we would have heard of the story of the three boys who walked in the fire and didn't have a hair singed if they had compromised. I doubt that we would have heard the story of Daniel staying alive through a stint in the lion's den if Daniel had not kept a pure heart before God. But you know, both of these stories have roots in the decisions that these young men made to maintain, to have a pure heart. And as the story goes on, we see that God actually blessed Daniel with influential position because of that. And that's what happens. God will raise us up into places of influence when we have a pure heart. We will see God in a way that we can't imagine. Because Daniel committed to stand apart from the culture, he was able to influence the culture. It's he, was, he stood apart from the way they behaved and because of that he could influence the culture. If we want to blend in, we're going to forfeit influence. To stand out is to make the difference. Now it goes on and in the final part, of, as I come to a conclusion, it says, Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. And I believe that there's two parts to this. I believe that the way that we see God when we're pure in heart now is that we see his hand at work. And we see how God works in circumstances and in situations and does impossible things for us when we're seeking him. That's what happened to Daniel. He changed circumstances. He changed the attitudes of people's hearts. He changed opportunities for them. And that's what God will do for us today. You know, in the... Back um, for Daniel, he turned people's hearts towards him. He made people willing to do things that could even cost them their life. Think of Ashpenaz. He gave supernatural ability and superior wisdom. He stopped flames. He shut the mouths of lions. We see God, don't we, in all of that. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. But the other promise in this is that we will one day see God face to face. Heaven will be opened and God will be visible to us. That's just incredible, I think. And Job described it this way. As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives and he will stand upon the earth at last. And after my body has decayed, yet in my body I will see God. I will see him for myself. Yes, I will see him with my own eyes. I am overwhelmed at the thought. Well, Job couldn't have put it better, I think. That's exactly what it will be like when we one day see God face to face. Amen. And so this morning, you might be saying, well, I'm not seeing God at work in my life. 
I ask him for things, I ask him to do things, I'm not seeing him. You know what I think we all need then, if you're not seeing God, we need to have a heart checker. We need to look at the condition of our heart. Is it a divided heart? Are we trying to have our feet in two camps? A kingdom of darkness and a kingdom of light. Is God competing for number one place in our heart? We've got other things that this is, this is important. This is important. What about this? And God's saying, what about me? Well, and so there's this competition. Our heart is tugging because we can't decide who we want as number one in our heart. You know, if you long to see God at work, you need to have an undivided heart. You need to have a clean heart, not one that's full of old issues or sins that haven't been dealt dealt with. Because what will happen is that the rot will set in when that happens. Or perhaps your heart is full of flashbacks And there's situations in your life that are there and every time they come up, they bring these negative feelings, feelings of unforgiveness and resentment because you've never dealt with it and you sort of bury it down and hope it goes away but then suddenly something happens and it flashes back. There it is again. And all these feelings arise again. That's not a clean heart. A heart that is clean is one where those things are washed away. Where Jesus cleanses us from everything, from every sin, from every negative emotion. And this morning, as we pray, I'm going to invite the band to come. I'm asking you to to close your eyes and take for a moment, just for a moment, check your heart. Just, just, Just go before God. And, and check your heart. It's time for a heart checkup for us all. Is our heart divided? Is our heart clean? Of course, we know that if you've never, ever received Christ, a pure heart starts with accepting Christ. And immediately, you know what he does? He gives you a new heart. He said, I'll take out that hard heart, that stony heart of sin, and I'll replace it with a new heart. And then after that, each day we walk with God and he just keeps renewing us, renewing our mind, the way we think, and cleansing our heart. That's why the message translation says you're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. Then, then you can see God in the outside world. Do you want a pure heart? This morning, do you want a heart that is put right with God? A heart that allows Him full control. Because when you do have that heart, you're going to see Him work in ways that you can't imagine because He is a mighty God. He is a great God. He is a big God. He is beyond my understanding. I can't explain to you how great or how big he is because that's God. He's infinite and I'm only finite. But God loves you and he wants your heart because he loves you. He gave everything of himself for your heart. He gave his life so that he could have your heart.
And this morning he's saying to you, will you let me have yours? Will you let me have your heart? Will you let me be number one? Will you let me get rid of that stuff for you and cleanse it so that it's pure? So that I can work out all the things that I have for you. I invite you to stand. Let's sing and, and seek God. Maybe we need to pray with the psalmist, create in me a clean heart, O God. Put a right spirit, a new right spirit in me.